Welcome to Let's Clear the Air, a podcast sponsored by the Allergy, Asthma, and Sinus Center, dedicated to educating listeners about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Well, welcome back to Let's Clear the Air, all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your host, Liz Edwards. Today, I'm with Dr. Megan Stoffer. We are at our West Nashville location, and it is back to school time. A lot of parents getting ready, filling out all the forms. And I think this can be an anxious time for parents, especially ones who have kids with food allergies. And we're going to just touch a little bit today about how to manage food allergies going back to school. And, and you know, uh, you're a parent as well. I just what can we expect what's reasonable and um how to be prepared i mean yeah. we, we start out with the forms you get lots of forms yes we get lots of forms this time of year um so i mean i think the most important thing is to um you know set up a time to meet with the school nurse and um and then before you go back to school so to sort of clarify expectations about which foods need to be avoided um, and what kind of symptoms have been experienced in the past making sure that there's epi um, epinephrine available if there was an accidental exposure and then these forms we fill out sort of give an a uh, framework as to what to do should there be an accidental exposure. And we provide forms from the FAIR organization, which I think is a great um, resource to, and it has like these like smiley faces or little faces that that I think are easy for many people to interpret as to like, you know, or like, you know, show sort of the symptoms and then clearly what to do. some schools have their own forms, some of which are great, some of which I find fairly general. Mm-hmm. Um, so the FAIR form has been good in just that it does give you very specific um, recommendations about what to do and when to do antihistamines versus when to do um, mm-hmm. epinephrine. So having that plan and then having the epinephrine you know, at school obviously is key. So some children, you know, as long as they don't ingest it, whatever right. it is they're yes. allergic to, they're fine. Correct. Others do have contact reactions of sorts. Can you talk about that? Like, let's just use peanut butter right. as an example. Right. Yes. So if, for a peanut allergic patient, um, there are studies showing there, aside from being in an airplane, you know, a peanut or a peanut product is not aerosolized. So for instance, if peanut butter is in the room, um, a patient would not have a systemic allergic reaction from that peanut product being there. It does require ingestion to have a systemic symptom. So if peanut was eaten at the lunch table beforehand and there was some peanut protein on the table, there are studies showing that water, Lysol wipes, um, and uh, that are used afterwards really are enough to sort of remove that protein from the table so that the next student could come and eat. Um, If they touch the peanut protein on the table, um, as long as they didn't stick their hand in their mouth or their eye or have any ingestion, mm-hmm. then what? Then they would develop what we call contact reaction. So that is mm-hmm. you know, itching or hives sort of locally where that peanut touched. Um, and so, um, you know, that's that's sort of, you know, wiping down the table after lunch, lunches is an adequate, um, mm-hmm. you know, with water or Lysol wipes can help the following students not have an excellent exposure. I would think with all the measures that we've put in place with COVID recently that, um, there might be some reassurance that mm-hmm. that 
you know, school is clean. It's probably cleaner right. now than no, it's ever that's been. That's true, right? We all have our own, <laughs> you know, students have their own things that, so there's less sharing of items. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, right. So they'd have their own, you know, crayons, like pencils, art supplies. I mean, they tend to not have as much sharing. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, looking at the bright side of some of these yeah. <laughs> things that have happened with COVID. And now for those who are just suspecting their children uh, may have food allergy or food intolerance, what's the first step? Let's just refresh everyone on Mm -hmm. on what you do here. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing in uh, figuring out about a food allergy is a clear history of what happens when the food is ingested. Um, uh, Symptoms of an allergic reaction are going to be immediate, usually within about 15 minutes, um, 30 minutes, an hour at the most. And it's almost always hives, welts, or itching. And then as the food is continued to be ingested, it tends to get progressively worse and can involve other organ systems. So number one, it's like clearly coming in with an idea of a consistent reaction to a food because we can't diagnose a food allergy just based on the presence of a test. Mm-hmm. We have lots of lots of false positives on food testing. And so if you just have a positive test without the history, it really is um, just a 50-50 shot as to whether or not that food is really contributing, which is just not good enough to make a diagnosis. Um, and so coming in with that history, and then if you have a history of every time I eat eggs, I have hives and vomit, and then we get a positive test, then we diagnose a food allergy. That's uh, And then that's different than sensitivities, or which are oftentimes mislabeled as food allergy, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of anything else that happens when you eat a food, like nausea or fatigue or um, mm-hmm. um, you know headaches, those sorts of things. There can, you can have diarrhea and vomiting associated with sensitivities, but that's different than an allergic reaction. And unfortunately, those come sort of diagnoses come based on food diaries and keeping track of what happens when you eat those foods. Um, so it's like. For us, having a clear history is just the most important thing. And then we support that with the test. For parents who have been, you know, in the food allergy trenches for a while, Mm -hmm. what is a good age or or what age do you recommend for them to be carrying their own um, epinephrine auto injectors, their EpiPen, Mm -hmm. Mm AviQ. What do you you think is a reasonable age? So, you know, it's interesting. I was reading something recently about how parents feel between the age of like seven to nine that they feel like most of those children should be able to carry their own epinephrine. Now, usually they require, you know, helping a parent a parent or a teacher to help them administer it mm-hmm. and decide when to do that. Whereas allergists, we tend to say, I usually tend to say between 12 and 14. Okay. Um, but, um, and I think that's what most allergists is, is we just tend to want to do that a little bit later because we want the students to have assistance and make sure that that's what's happening. Um, Although I do tell parents, you know, if you're going to give epinephrine, it's not, it's a temporary side effect. So, um, you know, if the student happened to give it unnecessarily, it's not a major problem. But, um, but of course, if they were having a reaction, they would, we want somebody to be there to help direct and manage and, you know, get treatment and so forth. So absolutely. So I think, yeah, we as allergists, maybe delay it a little bit more for that reason. That makes sense. Well, thank you. These have been some good tips. Um, good to start off the year getting everybody right. on the same page with the expectations. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Clear the Air. Please consider following this podcast. And remember, 
If you want helpful and accurate information about allergies and asthma, our allergy experts are here to clear the air.